Look, it's not a secret at this point. I need a haircut. But also, we are going to bring Atari Hacker Pro back really soon. And to celebrate that, Mark and I decided to share some of our best SEO traffic tips in today's episode to get more traffic to your site today. So if you've been waiting for a podcast episode full of traffic nuggets, and if you don't really care about business partnership or any of the recent podcasts that we've released recently, this is your episode. So let's not tease you anymore and let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. HPro has just been opened up, so if you want to check it out, you can go on authorityhacker.com slash pro, and you'll learn everything you need to know about it. And this podcast is kind of a celebration for it returning. I don't care if I need a haircut. I don't care if the world is falling apart, etc. Some people were still emailing us, asking us to be able to join, so we decided to go on with this. The good news as well is that for the occasion, like we were supposed to, um, to increase the price, but given the recent events, we kind of decided not to go with that just because of that it was more appropriate. So the price is exactly the same as it was last time. So people who bought last time, you still got the best deal you could. And yeah, you get a second chance this time to get in. So go and check it out on the slash pro, autoyhacker.com slash pro. But don't worry, this podcast is not going to be a pitch fest. That is basically it. I'll probably remind you at the end. Now we're going to be sharing some of our best SEO tips to celebrate this launch, basically. So I suggest, Mark, that... We just get going. By the way, how's it going, Mark? I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for introducing me. It's going good, as always. So let's just jump into this. Oh, by the way, YouTube, subscribe, thumb up, the, the bell, all that stuff. Uh, Spotify, I'm just going to like slide that thing on the side because I know how I did the podcast now. Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, if you want to follow this podcast, we release an episode every Monday. But let's jump into this. The first thing I want to talk about is building silos or what I call reverse silos. Silos work really well, and we didn't invent it. A lot of people came, I think it's Bruce Clay that kind of came with that name a really, really long time ago. No, nobody on SEO like, invented this. But the problem with silos is they're quite intimidating. Essentially, if you don't know, by the way, a silo is the idea of creating a hub of content uh, that is about the same topic and using the internal linking and all of that for these pages to help each other rank higher in Google and overall increase your topical authority on the topic so that you hopefully rank higher. So that's, that's essentially what is a silo is. The problem is it's very intimidating to think of the idea of doing a silo. I mean, doing one great page on its own is already a lot of work. So doing multiple is actually crazy. And so I think people don't do silos because it just sounds like a lot of work. And my recommendation for a lot of people, especially if you have, I mean, this is more for like sites that exist already. It's going to be to actually look at the pages on your site that already have links. If you've done any kind of link building campaign before, if you naturally have been ranking for an info keyword that has been collecting a lot of links, etc., it's to then go on that page. And usually I find these pages by going on hrefs, going in my reports, and going on best pages per link, and then just sorting it out. And then what I do is I look at these pages, I open them, and I open, I use uh, Dynalist, which is kind of like the note-taking app we use, but you can use any note-taking app or even a spreadsheet. And I write down every subtopic that this page talks about. So an example of something I did on Atari Hacker, so you guys can go and check a real example, is we had that page on how to make money blogging, I think. Um, 
it is an old page and it has a lot of incoming links. And so when I go and do keyword research on a toy hacker, for example, I open that page and I, I listed down everything. So at some point, how to make money blogging, there was like, you know, use advertising. So advertising was a subtopic. And then there was also, I can't remember, like, a, I guess, affiliate marketing slash right, product reviews or something. And so I wrote all these topics. And then from these topics, I actually then started doing keyword research. So I would go and be like website advertising or like uh, writing product reviews, et cetera. And what I can do is I can take that page that has hundreds of incoming links, and then I can just do an internal link from that page to essentially the new page I'm creating and rank much faster. And also because I have topical authority because of all these links, it's actually quite easy to build a silo this way. And what I really like is I have a chance to rank for keywords without building links, which uh, is a bit of a pain in the ass. I will talk about link building, by the way, a little bit later. So if you want to know about link building, this is coming. But I really, really like doing that. And I think that is a quite easy way to get started with silos. You need, need to build one page at a time and it works really well, basically. And another thing I want to add on that essentially is point two, but it kind of goes together is doubling down what works. And we mentioned it in the affiliate podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning again is that when you launch a site or like, let's say you launched five different categories, usually after a couple of months, there's one category that's really going to take off and the rest kind of like not going to do nearly as well. And like maybe 70% of your revenue is going to come from one of these categories. And it's pretty normal. Like, don't feel bad about it. This is how marketing works. This is all these Pareto principle stuff, etc. It's normal. And the thing is, like, most newbies will try to diversify at this point. They'll try to, you know, like, write about new keywords and start from scratch again, etc. What you need to do here is do exactly what I said. You need to pick that topic that worked and then just go and brainstorm all the keywords you can write about because Google's seeing you as an authority. You're probably getting some links or you build some links and you will rank really, really fast about this. And, um, like, I've done, we've done that on several sites, including the site we sold last year. The site we sold last year, it's funny because the way it was built is you would land on it and there was like five categories on the top navigation. And out of the five categories, four categories were one page with just like writing about the topic. And then one category was 300 pages because we doubled down on what works. And that's how we grew this site this fast. That's how we sold it this fast for this much money. It's because we established topical authority on one subtopic and we brainstormed hundreds of keywords to write about and they ranked really fast and through the internal linking and the silo effect, it worked really, really well. So build silos and reverse silos and double down on what's working, even if like there's other keywords in other categories that might look juicier. Try to max out what you have already because your chances of ranking are so much higher that you will often make more money. So that's basically... I think, I think in general, diversification, a lot of marketers, when they start making a bit of money, they, they think immediately, oh, I need to diversify. I need to do other things which I don't know how to do, launch other sites, do things which are not my core business model in order to protect my revenue in case this goes down. But really the essence of most businesses is finding one thing that works and just executing it repeatedly very, 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 very well. I think there's a famous Warren Buffett quote about diversification being for people who don't know what they're doing or something like that. But yeah, it's generally not the optimal way to run your business and you will tend, you will usually make less money if you are taking a diversification mindset. I agree. I, I think it's kind of like down. the idea of this kind of like salary concept of making some money every month as well. Honestly, in entrepreneurship, if you want to make a lot of money, the way it's going to work is you're going to have huge spikes and it will just like, it will, there will be big valleys as well, but you'll still make more money spiking and valleying 
then you would make trying to achieve constant revenue and trying to build that security. And the truth is, having the money in the bank today, even if there's a bit less, like it gives you so many more opportunities to do something with that money that makes more money, that you sometimes it's worth the trade-off in time of like the delayed gratification. So it's like we, we do build long-term sites and we do that. However, you also need to understand that there's a level of aggressiveness that often pays off in terms of entrepreneurship that most people that don't have this culture or haven't lived that lifestyle for a long time are quite averse to. And it's essentially losing them a lot of money, I think. Yeah, that's the important thing. The, the amount you lose from not doing that, from not doubling down on what works is very significant and usually much, much, much more than the amount you can potentially make by doing something else or diversifying. Yeah. But let's move Let's move on to the next one. Next point is to re-optimize content, re-optimize old content frequently. So when we first started in authority sites, it was basically let's get as many keywords as we can and mm. keep writing articles about that and keep doing that. Well, you would After write it period- once and never touch it again. Like you'd write an yeah. article and that's it, you know? After a period of time, though, a few interesting things happen. Some of those keywords will, some of those articles will work, some won't. But the reason why those some don't work, it's not always just lack of links or domain authority, which, which can be an issue in the early days. So it may mask this concept in a way. But often you can end up targeting a topic with a kind of like the wrong angle, uh, so like not quite hitting the the search intent, or the search intent can change over time. We've mentioned many times about the one of the articles in Authority Hacker where we we wrote it initially. It was like a roundup of bloggers, uh, like how much money can income you make report, yeah. on online marketing. It was a roundup of income reports. But then like a bunch of other people started writing about that topic. Our article tanked. Theirs started going up and up and up, but it was like a totally different structure of, of how they did it. We, we thought our article was better. Google obviously <laughs> thought it was less relevant. So what did we do? We rewrote it and we, we rewrote it in the structure of what everyone else was doing. And hey presto, it ranked. So that is a concept which is very, very important, especially as your site starts to get older. It's very cheap to rewrite an article versus to, to write a new one from scratch if you just have to change a few bits and pieces around. You may run out of good keywords eventually. It usually takes a while, but eventually you, you might do that. But by rewriting old content, you can also capitalize on all the existing like age that your domain has built, that the page has built, all the links that it already has, so that when you rewrite it and publish it, you can get results, you know, like really, really fast in a, few, in a, in a matter of hours, even in, in some cases. Yeah, many times, yeah, it's quite quick. So there's an example of an, a recent post we, we did on Authority Hacker. I'm not going to talk about the exact URL because competitors are probably <laughs> listening, and that's one of the other points we'll mention further in this episode. So keep listening if you want to hear about spying on competitors. Uh, but basically, we wrote we rewrote this article to mar- to match the search intent. We mirrored the structure of what other people were writing about in in, in Google. Uh, the people who were ranking at the top of Google were writing. So like they're the same article structure, the same length. So we made it shorter, that kind of thing. And we also ran it through Surfer SEO to to do the, essentially the same thing, but from a more... I, I to guess, explain to people who don't know what Surfer SEO does, is it looks at the top, top results. So it looks at like what's similar between the pages that rank on top. And maybe, you know, they have like 20 H2s or 30 H2s, etc. And it gives you all that list of things that they hit. So you can build a page that's quite similar to what they do, and Google does tend to respond quite well to this lately. Yeah. So I mean, running all your articles or running a lot of articles which aren't really like hitting very well, or you know maybe they're top of page two or just not 
they've gone down in rankings over the last couple of years. Running them through this optimi- re-optimization process like, will yield significant results in many cases. Yeah, I think the, the point as well is that we're really entering, a, in competitive industries, we're entering a game of content refreshes. And I expect these to actually happen more and more often as time passes because when you refresh your content, you kind of get, first of all, you get a temporary boost in rankings. Your, your content, because of freshness and you know, Google has all these patents and they, they had a really old update called the Google Caffeine update that is aimed at surfacing fresher content. That's why if you type like coronavirus on Google, for example, or something like this, you get very fresh results. You won't get something about the, the cold or something like that, which is also coronavirus. And so that actually gives you a boost in rankings. And then we'll talk a little bit about this later, but we'll talk about CTR, click-through rate. Uh, if you have good metrics from people seeing your results, like having an impression, and then like you have a good click-through rate, then Google will actually boost you up even more. And if you manage to get these metrics do better than your occupation, you are able to often maintain these rankings versus having them temporarily just from the freshness. Essentially, the freshness essentially fades away, but the better user metrics actually kind of make up for it, and you tend to like keep your rankings. And the thing as well with fresh content is it gives you an opportunity to do another round of link building. So when you update a piece of content, it's very easy to then also look at your competitors, look at the links they have, but you don't have a that keyword, even if it's an old page, and give another shot at outreaching at these people and try to essentially gain the link metrics that you don't have. And this refresh is a really great excuse to reach out to people again and try to get a link. So for these very competitive queries, it's almost impossible to rank on essentially on round one for a piece of content, like what will happen is you will write, let's say you try to rank for, like, I'll give a big competitive keyword, big best WordPress hosting. That would be like a quite competitive keyword. There's very, I mean, unless like you're Wikipedia writing, writing about this, there's very little chance you will rank for this on your round one. What's probably gonna happen is you're gonna write about this, then you're gonna try to get some links. Let's say you built 30 links, you're on page seven or something with 30 links for that keyword. And then next year, maybe you refresh your, your thing and you do another round of link building. Maybe this time you're a little bit bigger, you get 50 links, Well, you get from page seven to page three, et cetera, et cetera. It's going to take six or seven refreshes for you to even like get to the top for these really competitive queries. And I'm not saying that to discourage people, by the way, these are for like the most competitive queries on Google. It doesn't happen that way. But as internet marketing is evolving, as companies are seeing the value in refreshing content and all the stuff they can do in terms of marketing with it, it is the game you're going to have to play. And it's also changing the way you manage your authority side because as we said earlier, we were essentially pushing new content and never really touching it again. And you know, when you targeted evergreen queries, it worked pretty well. And all you had to do is buildings to your domain and just write about more keywords. These days, a significant portion of your writing capacity is going to have to be spent on refreshing your content. You don't have to, but you get better results if you do that. To the point where nowadays, I would say 60%, 70% of our writing capacity is spent rewriting and updating content because we get better results doing that. And it's a process to figure out. But yeah, basically, stop chasing. We're living in a world where you don't chase like a 5,000 pages website, but you'd rather pick a few hundred that really make you money and rank really high for these and have really high quality pages. That tend to work better for like small publishers or the people that listen to this podcast. And the more capacity you have, the more you're essentially able to maintain a larger pack of content. But that takes building a team if you want to scale up because you have to add that degree of maintenance to your existing content. 
So that's basically re-optimizing content. Any final words on that? No. Another thing that I want to talk about, and I think it's going to go together with what we just talked about, is write more about info keywords. So I mean, there's an argument for writing about info, for info keywords and an argument for not writing too much about info keywords. So I'll give you the arguments and the counter arguments, and I'll tell you why I still think you should write about a certain degree of info keywords. Uh, first of all, most online marketers, most basic affiliate marketers have no freaking idea how to monetize info keywords, which is why they don't write about it. But I really like info keywords because essentially the combo we do is info Info keywords are, by the way, keywords that give information, something that people is looking, something that people are looking for online, doesn't really have like an angle to sell directly, not like a best roundup or something like this. First of all, they lower competition and have much higher volume. You do have to take into consideration feature snippets when you write about info keywords. So you need to write about info keywords that cannot be answered in just 200, 200, word, 200 characters, I think, to it's the average fitted snippet. So like, if you say, like, what color is the White House? That's a great question. Like, you know, a fitted snippet can probably answer that and nobody will click on a website. However, if you say, how do I dismantle my 4x4's engine? Then essentially, like, there's no way a fitted snippet is going to explain that. So you can write about that and you will get search traffic because people will click on the results. So you've got to consider feature snippets when you write about them, but provided you do, there's still a lot of traffic to be gotten from info keywords. So the first thing I like is they're a great link building opportunity. We use Shotgun Skyscraper for this. We talk a lot about this in Atari Hacker Pro and we have made podcasts about this if you want to look for this. So we're able to build links to our site and then do these reverse silos. Maybe if I write about how to dismantle my 4x4's engine, maybe then I can write about best 4x4's oil, best 4x4 battery, best 4x4 tires, etc., etc., and then put all the links from that page like that link. And that's how I rank all my roundups. Uh, the second thing is you can capture emails which I know a lot of people don't capture emails and they're wrong, but it works really well. And uh, you can also, I talked about this in the affiliate tips, right? Uh, you can do these pop-ups. So let's say you have a 4x4 shops affiliate program that pays you 8% 30-day cookie type thing. You can make an exit pop-up on that guide and say, hey, you want accessories for your 4x4? Click here to get discounts and people click and buy. And the third thing you can do is you can monetize with ads. Um, yes, with the crisis, ads RPMs have been decreasing quite a bit. But they're still not too bad, and I do expect them to go back up when things get better. So I don't. I, given the fact that SEO is kind of like a delayed gratification thing anyway, by the time you rank, hopefully RPMs are a little bit higher. I I do believe that. But overall, that's how we do info content, and that's how we get value from that. Now, when you take the authority system, which is like our beginner's course on starting new websites, we actually recommend you write eighty percent of your content as commercial content, so roundup reviews, VS, alternatives, that kind of stuff. And the reason we do that is because, you know when people think about relevance in Google's eyes, they think about the niche. So it's, if my niche is 4x4, four four, then people will think about, oh, then you, you try to be relevant for 4x4. Four four. But actually, if you write a lot of reviews, you're not just relevant for 4x4, four four, you're relevant for reviews. And reviews is a theme for your website. Therefore, when you're low authority, you do want a lot of your content to be the kind of content that you'd like to see rank higher. So you need to do some info content at the beginning, use that to build up your authority. And then as you build up your authority, you're able to essentially expand your info content so that the authority makes up for uh, essentially, the authority gives you the right to expand the scope of your website. That's the way I'm looking at it. So if you're a DR5 site, 
you should write about 4x4 tires. If you are a DR60 site, you can write about outdoor adventures. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. And so that's why you kind of expand this. But the example that you would do in this case, for example, would be like how to dismantle your 4x4's engine, and you write five review keywords that you internal link from that and build your mini silo from that. So you're still doing that info keywords. And then you can also, once you have that hub ranking, and you you got some links to that how to dismantle your engine, you can then think about other info keywords to interlink the whole thing and essentially empower the network. So that's how you use info keywords. You need to do them. You need to do them slowly at the beginning, and then you can ramp it up faster and faster as you're building more and more links to your site. So that's info keywords. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah. So next we have, well, first of all, link building, very, very important. If you're not doing link building, then uh, you're, you're doing something wrong. It's, it's correlated as one of the biggest ranking factors. So I want to talk a little about a few like different ways of doing link building because we've done podcasts on Shotgun Skyscraper, on Harrow, on guest posting, on the kind of the basics. And this is still the core of our of most of our link building strategy. But we've started doing other things, which as your site gets older, and you kind of gain a bit more experience, you can you can start to do. And one of these is utilizing existing relationships for link building. And there are three key ways you can do this. The first is through affiliate partnerships. Generally, a lot of, a lot of our listeners, a lot of our websites have affiliate links. We recommend other products. And when we do that, we often have a review of them, obviously. So you can simply reach out to the product manufacturer or the if it's a software company or the, the product company. If you're going through Amazon, obviously you're not going to reach out to Amazon, but you can reach out to them directly. If you're going through like direct through their own affiliate account, then you most likely have an affiliate manager. Reach out to them and ask for a link. And this works both ways, by the way. So if you're running an affiliate program and you have affiliates promoting you, I mean, most likely they're going to be linking to you anyway. But you can ask for like a, a do follow link from a certain page or or whatever. I've had this happen to me from a software affiliate company did this. When they did, I I obliged. I, I linked to them from where they wanted to where they wanted. Uh, and then following on from that, a month or so later, I turned it around and I asked them for a link, and they linked to me as well. So it's kind of a win-win. Yes, it's a link exchange. In moderation, they're okay. We did a podcast about yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. And I don't think Google minds if you build a real relationship, like if it's like something you already work together, etc. And this isn't like a super scalable kind of thing either. Yeah, you don't build fine. millions of links this way. So affiliate partnerships is one. Your friends and your network is another. So make a list of everyone you know who has a website, go through them, and either ask them directly for a link if it's a kind of transactional thing, or you know, you might want to pitch it more softly. Hey, can I guess post on your site? It's possible, regardless of what niche they're in, it's usually possible to bridge your niche and their niche in some way. You just have to like think of a, a creative topic that kind of covers covers both and, and and go that way. Again, when you do this, some people may ask for a link back, in, in which case it's okay to do that in, in in moderation as well. But it's amazing how many people have especially if you're in the HPro community or in any group, any forum where lots of website owners, marketers hang out. It's amazing how little or how rarely people ask for, for links from, from each other. So it's, it's a thing. And finally, you can uh, also look at testimonials as well. So if you use a product and you love it, offer to write them a testimonial. You can even use something which you've 
quoted in your, which you've written in your review of their product as your testimonial. So most product owners, most companies know how important testimonials are, but they don't collect enough of them. They don't have processes in place to do that. So if you go and offer this to them, more often than not, they're going to be very happy about it. And if they have the capacity to use it in some way, you can ask them to link to you as well. Bonus points if you do video testimonial, because those are very, very, very rare. And as product owners ourselves, we know how difficult it is to get good, high quality video testimonials from, from customers. So if you can bridge that gap and make that easier, then more often than not, the, the company will, will give you a link, often from like their homepage or a, a really high value page as well. So get used to using these kind of existing relationships you have with other people to build links. It's not super duper scalable, but there's a lot of uh, low hanging fruit here. Yeah, I do that all the time, giving testimonials and getting links. It's like, it's the thing as well is it's a great source of links from their homepage. Like a lot of companies feature testimonials on their homepages. If you do that for them, honestly, it's worth even like buying a camera just for that. Like, let's say we like, uh, if I was like all in on like one project, holy shit, I would do that. Like, it's like I would be able to build things so fast from like so many things because they, even the marketing tools you're using, right? You, you're all using some tool, whatever, you can definitely, whatever niche you're in, if you have like a gardening site or whatever, you can you can give a testimonial to, I don't know, to Ahrefs or to Surfer or whatever, and you could get you could get a link from these guys. So I highly recommend that you put that together. Companies love it. It's also a great way to start a relationship by like giving them something, and then you don't know what's going to come out from this. It's also really cool to like use your your brand name there. So Authority Hacker, it's kind of a bit abstract, but if you have a if you have a website like bestpaintballguns.com or something like that, then you know, the owner of bestpaintballguns.com saying this is an amazing paintball gun is going to be very, very powerful for that that manufacturer. So you can kind of utilize your your brand there, the like naming of your brand rather than any kind of established value of, of your brand as well. Yeah, so I think I think it's an easy one. The next one I want to talk about is fighting for featured snippets, and I'm going to be a little bit more precise, but featured snippets have changed towards the beginning of the year. Basically, before, it would just pick like mostly a page from like position one to five and like put it on top. Now it's essentially the number one spot, right? And the layout has changed a little bit. It's a little bit different, etc. However, a lot of rules that apply before still apply to featured snippets. And if you get the featured snippet compared to ranking essentially number two now, you can easily double the traffic to a web page. So it's quite, there should be a significant amount of resources spent looking at your number two rankings and try to get that feature snippet because yeah, it's quite disproportionate now that we are living in this world of this new search layout. So at the time we have done, we have a huge uh, post about that. You can go on notoryhacker.com slash feature snippet, by the way. But they're as much of an off page as an on-page thing, feature snippet, which is quite interesting because it is an off-page thing because you need to naturally rank high for that keyword to even have a shot at getting that feature snippet. There's no way you're ranking number 24 for a keyword and you're getting the feature snippet. You already need to be at, towards the top. So uh, links tend to be the most important ranking factor. So you do need some links. And, and because now it's kind of like the number one spot, obviously I don't have the algorithm, but I would expect that this even takes more place into like deciding whether you have the feature snippet, so links are important. But it's also an on-page thing, right? Google has specific formatting. And so the best way to capture the feature snippet is to look at the format of the feature snippet for your keyword. So very often they'll use, for example, bulleted lists, right? 
And we found out it's like funny because we've been working on feature snippet quite a bit lately. The bullet point is often there's two ways. Either it's an actual bullet point on the page, or it's them taking the H2s or the H3 of the page and then essentially just like putting a bullet point list together, all these points, etc. But what we found from computer research is like the more obvious, the more straightforward, the more likely you are to pick up the feature snippet. So if, for example, a competitor is getting a bullet list from a bunch of H2s, that if you actually make a bullet list on your page that format that matches exactly the format of feature snippet, you're quite high, you're quite likely to steal that feature snippet. So you really want to do that. The second thing that I found is that keyword density matters a lot. So and you will see when you type the keyword and you're in the feature snippet, the keywords will be bolded, right? Uh, all the, the the synonyms will be bolded. And I think Google is quite primitive on that stuff at this point. And like stuffing keywords a lot works really well. I made a demonstration for for one of those in Chiang Mai SEO. And one of the last optimizations I did to actually get that snippet was to stuff the keyword on every single bullet point. And then eventually I just got it. And another thing I've found as well is that you, what do I want to say? Oh, I'm, I'm doing a mock web store right now. Uh, <laughs> okay. And another thing I found as well is that the clarity of your code, the quality of the code of the area in a feature snippet to rank, not, it's not that important, but of the area in a feature snippet, it's really important that it's really clean. To the point where I, we, we used to have pages on Elementor, and Elementor works well to rank pages, etc. We have plenty of them rank you really well, etc. Um, but they do add a lot of like these divs, etc. And if you put just a bullet list, it's going to be a lot of code, basically. And what I did is I, we just moved the exact same post to Gutenberg. And very often, that was the difference between getting the feature snippet and not getting it, just because of the quality of the code and because like how clean it was. So sometimes I was just putting a block of text instead of, for example, a bullet point element in Elementor or something like this, or moving it completely to Gutenberg, and that worked really well. So when you start fighting for the feature snippet, it's time to look at things like moving the post back to like the native WordPress editor and things like that, et cetera, which is quite unfortunate. And the truth is these days we do put pretty much all the blog posts we have on Gutenberg and we still use Elementor as the theme builder and to build landing pages on our sites, but it has costed us some feature snippets to use it on that. So, and all page builders will be the same, by the way. It's not just Elementor. It's just the way they're built because they're modular, they add a lot of divs, etc. and it's going to cost you some of that. Another thing I want to talk about feature snippets is how to test your changes. So like I mentioned a bunch of things for you to try. First of all, it doesn't, like many times it just doesn't work, right? All the things I did, you will need to try different permutations of them to try to get the fitted snippet. And it, sometimes it takes 10 to 12 tries, etc. The good news is essentially there's a trick in Webmaster's console. You can make a few changes to your URL and then you can put that URL in Webmaster's console and request re-indexing. And it's not gonna, you're not gonna be able to do that 25 times. For us, I mean, for me, it works between one and five times per day for a site, and then after that, and but what happens is I submit the URL and Google just reindexes it within a couple of minutes. It does vary a lot. Some days, some days it works better than others. But what I tend to find on average is that yeah, do it. I can do that a few times. It refreshes really quickly, so I'm able to test different variations of my page within a couple of minutes and see my rankings move in real time as I'm doing this. And that's really really powerful to get the feature snippets. So what I would recommend is that you take a list of five pages that rank for number two for a valuable keyword. And every single day, you pick one of these pages and you make a few changes to this page and you do that webmaster's console trick. You try to put that URL, re-index it. Did you move up? Did you move down? Did you get a feature snippet or not? Try two or three versions and then revert back to the version that essentially did the best. 
you might not get a fidgeting pet, but you might get a ranking boost as well. It works as well for, for ranking. And then next day, do the next one, because this way you give it a week, basically, until you touch it again. So maybe it might fluctuate a bit more, et cetera. And you do that every single day. And then you're essentially rolling five pages. And when, when one gets defeated snippet, you just remove it and add another one to the list. And you do that every day. And it's an easy way to get more traffic and be quite organized about it. So that is my tip on feature snippets, basically. Do you think there's any time when it's not worth optimizing for the for feature snippet? Because don't they now like take you out of the organic rankings when you? That's when what you we thought. But like from what I've seen, no. Like I've still I've taken quite a few since did that change, and pretty much every single time traffic went up between thirty to sixty percent basically. So it's really good actually. Cool. So the next point we've got is around monitoring your competitors. So first of all, it's just a very good thing to do. One of the coolest, like I, I'm always interested in what, what other people are doing. My friend Josh, who runs Expert Photography, he has all his competitors in his Ahrefs, as Ahrefs projects. So if you have like the standard plan, I think you get 10, um, which is usually enough for, for key competitors. But what that does is, you know, as a website owner, I'm sure you're using Ahrefs or whatever tool it is you, you use very regularly. So when you log in, it just comes up and you can instantly see the dashboard of how all your competitors are doing. And you really get a good pulse of the industry and how specific people are doing, how they're improving or otherwise. And it's just generally a good thing to do. More specifically, you can keep an eye on the links they're building. So Ahrefs Site Explorer has a backlinks feature where you can look specifically for new backlinks and you there's a little calendar and you can select the date range when you want to want to do that. So you can go through all your competitors on a regular basis and monitor their new links and assess them all and say, hey, can we get this link as well? If so, how? Maybe it's a guest post they've got. So maybe you might be want to reach out to the, the site and, and get a link from there. Maybe it's a resource page they found. Maybe you can get that as well. If you keep an eye on all your competitors or what they're doing, you'll get a lot of link opportunities through this process. You can even kind of automate that a, a little bit by using the alerts feature, again, in Ahrefs. So you can set any domain and just put a link alert so you get a weekly digest of all new links that that's got and it'll, it'll send it to you by email as well. So you can just really keep an eye on, on, on what's going on there. Similarly, it's not just links though, you can also target their, their keywords they're going for. So in Ahrefs Site Explorer, if you go to the organic keywords section and look at new, that's going to tell you all the new keywords which they're suddenly ranking for. Now that's not necessarily just new content, that's what they're actually ranking for, so that's what's working for them. So you can use that to inform your keyword research or straight up like go challenge for those keywords as well. There's also the content gap analysis tool in Ahrefs where you can put multiple competitors in and your own domain and it'll find all of the keywords that they have that you don't. So you can find opportunities that way as well. You don't have to do that on an ongoing basis, you can just do it now and it will find all of them. Similarly, you can look at like all WordPress sites, or most of them at least will have a feed. So if you go to authorityhacker.com slash feed, you'll see like a, it's kind of in code, but you can see a list of all the new blog posts which we're, we're publishing. Or you can just look on a site's blog and if, if they have it in chronological order. Or you can go to Ahrefs, again, pages, best by links or top content. And then if you, if you sort it by date, reverse sort it so it shows the newest one first. You can see all of the new content that they're publishing and, all, and everything they're targeting. In competitive industries, everyone is doing this to each other. So it's really, it's quite hilarious. As soon as someone posts a new keyword or a new kind of guide, 
you'll see all of the other key competitors or all the other top dogs in that industry do it as well. And uh, yeah, there's a reason they do it because it works. So it's another thing to consider. It's just another kind of a bit of a philosophy is, is just monitoring your competitors more closely to, to see what they're doing. By the way, I'm not saying just copy everything they do and hmm. you know rewrite their articles and, and go to that extent. You have to inject your kind of own uniqueness into, in, into this. But that doesn't mean that you can't keep a pulse on what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, just looking at your competitors and building a system for that is quite important. Like, one of the first things I do when I get into a niche is uh, make a massive list of competitors, actually. And, uh, and so I refer important. to it all the time. Uh, whenever I do keyword research, etc. Like it's my number one go-to. Let's talk about the next one, though, which is going to be uh, essentially A-B testing your title tags. Now, A-B testing is probably a wrong word because you can't really A-B test, at least not in real time, because, well, Google caches your title tag. And then, uh, you know, it's like you cannot A-B test in real time, despite what a lot of like uh, marketing tools will tell you. They can help you get an idea, but what happens is essentially you put a title tag for two weeks and then you look at the CTR data in Webmasters Console and you change it for another two weeks and then you compare to that. Hopefully you're ranking roughly the same, um, but you still it's still highly valuable because the traffic you get is not just the place you rank, it's the place you rank multiplied by the click-through rate. And so if your click-through rate is low, it doesn't matter if you rank high. And the truth is, if your click-through rate is low, it's unlikely you will rank high for very long. So it's it's important both to maintain your rankings and to gain new spots. It's especially powerful when you're like top four and you know you want to climb up, then getting high CTR for us has helped quite a lot. So I'm gonna give you a very practical process on how to work on this. You should have your site registered in Webmasters Console. So go on there, then you go in search performance show all metrics, and then you can just, uh, like, you can show average rankings, you can show CTR, etc. so you show everything, and you order it, so you click on the column, by rankings. And essentially what it's going to do is it's going to show you the, the keywords you rank the highest for, and it's going to show you their CTR next to them. And usually the easy way for me to know which keywords to work on is to essentially, like, the first ones are number one, then two, then three, etc., or like 1.1, 1.2 in one master's console. And if the click-through rate which is a percentage number, is below the one above and below it, then I know that my clicks rate is not optimized. So that's how I know which pages to work on. Now, how do you actually optimize your title tag for CTR? First of all, make sure your title tag is not truncated. So Google does. Uh, so it's, it's quite interesting because SEO plugins will tell you, okay, you can use 60 characters for your title tag. It's just not true. Uh, Google has changed their font last year. And depending, and it's the number of pixels. And so not every character has the same number of horizontal pixels. So some title tags will have to be less than 60 characters. And another thing that Google does on many title tags though, is they add your brand name at the end. So a lot of our title tag, of our search results, for example, you will find like feature snippet guide and they will add dash authority hacker. And it's not in our title tag, we didn't write it, but they added it. And what they do is they cut what's before and then they add authority hacker at the end. So we actually only have maybe like 30 or 40 characters. So first of all, you want to look at the title tag and how it's displaying in search. And you want to look at how it's displaying in search for the keyword because they will truncate it and rewrite it differently based on the query. So you want to look at what it looks like for the keyword and make sure it's not cut. So that's the first thing. Like we have done a data study for that and truncated uh, title tags or like titles in the SERPs do get less clicks. So that's number one. 
Number two is I like to look at paid advertising. So if there's any kind of paid advertising for a keyword, you want to look at that. You know why? Because actually when you run AdWords, there is this new ad format, which is called dynamic ads. And what it allows me to do is it allows me to put multiple title tags and then Google just does its work and optimizes for the best CTR for it. And they even do slight additions automatically to it to maximize the CTR on the ads because, well, they take your money when you click. So they're pretty happy to do that. So essentially, you're piggyback writing to someone who has much more data with AdWords together with the AI of Google that's trying to maximize their revenue from ads. So looking at the paid ads is usually a good way to come up with copy for your title tags. If there is paid ads, it doesn't work for a lot of uh, info keywords, but if there is. Another thing that works really well for us is including the current year in your title tag. All SEO plugins can do it, whether you're using Yoast, Rank Math, SEO Press, or whatever. You can do percentage, percentage, current year, percentage, percentage for most of them. On Rank Math, it's only one percentage sign. But what it does is it replaces it with the current year, and it's all automated, and this gets us more clicks. On some occasions, you can use emojis on title tags, and Google will return them. <laughs> so that's one. If you have used it, they will remove it, but it can work. And another thing is using emotional words. So like we actually did also a list of these words on atoyahacker.com slash headlines. So I would recommend you go and check that. But yeah, using that, having an exclamation mark at the end, using some all caps words as well works really well. So like the truth of about this or whatever, like truth would be in caps, all caps, that we get more attention. Capitalizing the first letter of every word works really well as well. Uh, that's like a good old uh, PPC tactic. So that's the kind of stuff that you can do. You can test it. And the way you do that is you, I told you how to find them, but you rewrite the title tag, you compare that to two weeks before, let it run for about two weeks. Look also at the variation in rankings, because if you went up and you have higher CTR, maybe you just get more CTR because you're ranking higher, not because your title tag's better. So you got to take all that data with a grain of salt, but you should be testing with that on the pages that get low CTR on Webmaster's console for that position. So that's the tip. Okay, and the next one is around turning unlinked brand mentions into links. Again, this is something that as your site grows, as your brand grows, it will have, start happening more and more and more. And there's loads of opportunities out there that many people just fail to capitalize on. And these can be really, really, really easy links to actually acquire once you've identified them, which is the hard part. So to do that, you need to first identify a list of potential sites that mention, mention your name, mention your brand name. Uh, so the easiest way is to Google it or to use something like Scrapebox to, to scrape all the results. And, and I don't mean just page one. You have to go, because most of page one, two, three, four, and five, and six will actually be linking to you in some way if it's an article about your brand. You have to go really, really, really deep with it. So, But with Scrapebox, you can go as many results deep as, as you want. Go deep with it and then use Scrapebox has a free like plugin type thing. It's called the link checker tool, a free link checker tool, I think. And you can even run it with multiple sites. So if you have, you know, authorityhackers.com and authorityhacker.com, because some people think you're called authority hackers <laughs> when you're not, um, but that's another story. Then you can put it all in. What this does is it looks, it searches through the list which you provided it and it will exclude or it'll tell you whether they're linking to one of the sites you specified so your site uh, if it is or if it, if it isn't and if it isn't then all of those which aren't linking to you that is your 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 list and you can go through each each result assess them assess the opportunity sometimes it'll just be some like spammy site that 
you know, copies and pastes all, all articles or some like image depository or just some kind of spam site in general. So there's no no point. But a lot of the time, it's just someone who's who's mentioned you and it would be a good opportunity to get links. So at that point, you can reach out to them, ask for the link. You can also kind of automate this or not really automate it, but keep a pulse of it on an ongoing basis by using the Ahrefs alerts functionality. And when you go into the alerts page, there's actually like three sections. So it's like backlinks is the first one and then mentions is the other. And it's not quite obvious that that's a menu option, just the way the page is formatting. So you have to kind of look closely for it. A lot of people miss this. But essentially what that allows you to do is you can put in your brand name and say on a weekly basis or whenever you set set it, whenever someone mentions your brand, it will flag it up and um, it will it will send that in the email and you can just go through them. It's not going to tell you if they're linking to you or not, but a lot of the time when they're not, you know, you, you can identify them and then you can reach out to them that way. It's just another really easy way of kind of like getting a few links coming in on an ongoing basis with, with little to no effort and links always a good thing. Yeah. Okay. I'll pick up the last tip. And it's to pay attention to schema markup on your page. You know how I realized that? I realized that because, so towards the end of last year, Google removed pretty much everyone's star ratings on reviews. <laughs> like on the, and then I saw our search traffic drop by 20 to 25% on some pages. Some only like 10, 15, but still like quite a lot without moving in rankings whatsoever, just because like a big site, we still have it. And as a smaller site, we wouldn't have it. So I think, uh, and, and by the way, the way to solve that, if you still don't have your files back, is to make sure you have all the publisher info filled up properly in your SEO plugin. Pretty much every SEO plugin allows you to do that, rank mass, Yoast, SEO press, all of these. Fill that up and then your star ratings will come back. But yeah, I saw that. And then also I saw an HPro member get plus 50% traffic by adding FAQ schema 50% traffic by adding FAQ schema on one of his info pages. And I was like, oh shit, this is actually quite good. So I, I was not a believer in FAQ schema as I would increase the clicks rate, but you know, according to a few people that showed me, uh, they did get more traffic. So I would recommend you use that. Again, Regmas and SEO Press actually do include the FAQ schema, so you can use that. It's pretty easy for Regmas. There's a Gutenberg block in there, and you can just like put the question and the answer. It's also a great way to rank for a lot of long-tail keywords, by the way. And the way you find the questions is you can, well, look for people also ask on the search keywords. So like most keywords will have that. We'll have that little block with like four or five questions. And when you click one, more of them open. So that's one way to find FAQ ideas. The other way is to use answerthepublic.com. They will find you a bunch of questions. And the third way I like is to look at the topic on Quora and look at what questions ask and just write about that. It's an easy way to increase your word count a lot and actually get more traffic. So uh, I would say these are the two that will be the most valuable to people in terms of traffic. That's going to be FAQ schema and star reviews for single reviews. That's what uh, works really well right now. And based on that, I'm going to wrap it up, actually. That was the last tip for this. Any last, maybe, tip that wasn't in the notes or something like this, Mark? Or anything to say to people? No, no final words. No final words. Well, final words is go check Autoria Hacker Pro on autoriahacker.com slash pro. Uh, it's only open for a few days, so don't miss it out. We do have payment plans open. You guys can go and check that out. So that. It shouldn't be too expensive to get in right away. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can give us a like, you can click on the subscribe button and the notification bell if you're on YouTube, or you can just subscribe and drop us a review if you're listening to the audio podcast. In any case, we're really happy to have you here. And well, thank you and see you next week. Bye.